Today's podcast is sponsored by the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, coming soon to Grand Rapids and Philadelphia. Listen for more at the end of the program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my usual co-host, the Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Todd, that must be like the sixth time I've got your title correct. After really? All these I, years, feel loved. I, I feel I'm loved. on a roll, man. I'm on a and roll. So. I feel like I've finally <laughs> reached a place of importance in your life, Carl. Thank you for that. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you with us today, and we're particularly happy to have uh, a special guest. It's not quite getting the band back together, but it, it sort of touches, touches on that. Uh, this is the man who actually introduced me to the music of Twisted Sister some 15, 16 years <laughs> oh, ago, I think, uh, <laughs> and Dee Snyder. I'm He's, glad uh, I know that. I'm really glad I know that. <laughs> Those were in the days where transgenderism was transgressive rock stuff, and now, of course, it's it's uh, compulsory political orthodoxy. Uh, but anyway, he's, uh, he'll be familiar to many of our listeners, I'm sure, because he is a regular at Reformed Forum. Uh, it is, of course, my former colleague uh, and friend, Lane Tipton. He's a former colleague, present friend, uh, Lane Tipton. Uh, Lane and I had the pleasure of working together for many years and indeed serving in the Presbytery of Philadelphia, where for a while we, uh, we overlapped on the Candidates and Credentials uh, Committee. Lane is currently pastor of Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Eastern Pennsylvania and also fellow of Biblical and Systematic Theology at the Reformed Forum, where our friend Camden Busey uh, presides as a sort of benign eminence. Uh, great, to, great to have you with us, Lane. How are things? Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, having a, a, a good time. Got the children home uh, over Christmas break, and we're really enjoying things. And it is a delight to be on this program. I, I, don't, I don't believe I've ever been on before, so uh, this is a first. I, I'm, I'm excited. It, well, Lane, it is typically idea. a very big deal. You know, when you finally made it, man. I know. I know. I matter now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us, uh, first of all, something about your work at uh, Reform Forum. Um, Todd and I are familiar with Reform Forum ourselves. Some of our listeners uh, almost certainly are devotees of the program, but perhaps you could tell us about what is the vision of Reform Forum and what's your particular role there? 
Well, uh, Camden has made um, Colossians 1.28, uh, presenting every person mature in Christ to be a kind of biblical summation of the goal of the Christian education pursued through Reform Forum. And Reform Forum offers a, a variety of podcasts and classes and lectures and publications are, are forthcoming coming to, uh, to, to help people who are in various stages of their Christian development, whether that's early on and just trying to get some of the basics of Calvinism and covenant theology, Catholic Orthodox Reformed theology, just the 101 stuff. And it's also for those who are wanting to dig a little bit deeper and understand uh, uh, in a fuller and richer way the, the Reformed faith. Uh, so you can, you can move from introductory level material to material that's somewhat uh, advanced to material that's quite advanced. And I have been doing just recently, I won't give a, a global overview here, but just recently, Reformed Academy has been established, and we're doing some uh, courses on the theology and apologetics of Cornelius Van Til, and other things are going to be coming forth. And one of the things we're trying to do in that is uh, just try to help people recognize that one of the things that makes Van Til and what Reformed Forms doing uh, so vital is that we're interested in promoting the uh, truths of the scriptures as summarized in the creeds and confessions of the church and um, reformed churches in particular. And it's it's been a delightful time. I've I've enjoyed serving, enjoyed doing the lecturing. The podcasts are fun, and um, Camden is so much better than I am at giving you a fuller orbed understanding of what reform forms doing. So maybe you brothers can provide a link, and people can you know, look into it. Lane, you're, you're a systematic theologian. You're also a pastor. And happily, uh, those two roles can very much be happy together. And they, they, then they should be. And I remember, um, this has been probably, oh, going back to 2009 or so. Um, I was new in Philadelphia. I was, uh, the, the teaching pastor at uh, church of the savior and you came out and delivered a lecture on, Christ being present in the in, in the Old Testament, really organically I present. That. Yes, yes. And one of the things that made it really a delight to sit there and listen to that lecture is that at, at any given moment, you know, you were you were preaching as 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 well. <laughs> and and I think that that systematic theology ought to break that barrier a, a lot of times. You know, I mean, clearly there, you know, there's a difference between a classroom lecture and a and a and a sermon. However, um, I wonder if you would just talk just a little bit about kind of in your approach to lecturing and teaching systematic theology, it's not unusual for you, and I think appropriately so, to, to slip almost into, into a plea, kind of a, a, a mode of, of communication. And that was one of the things I think that made, you know, that lecture memorable for me, as well as other people that were there, is that um, systematic theology sounded um, really important, you know, in, in that moment. I, I want to talk about preaching in a little while, but, but what is your approach um, to, to teaching systematic theology uh, that, that kind of fuels that for you? Yeah, um, Gerhardus Voss once said that doctrine is a means of grace. Um, and what he was getting at in that quotation is that when we're setting forth the truth as it is in Scripture, uh, that is a means to the end or subserves the end of the worship of the triune God. Mm -hmm. 
in union and communion by the spirit and through spirit gifted faith with the ascended Christ, crucified mm-hmm. and ascended Christ. So that when we're teaching doctrine, uh, when, we're get, when we're studying or investigating a specific locus, whether it's the doctrine of scripture, the doctrine of God, man, Christ, salvation, sacraments, uh, last things, the end to which that doctrine exists is nothing more and nothing less than the whole-souled worship of the believer as an individual, the church as a corporate whole, of the immutable glory of the triune God. And if that's your goal, if you understand that that's the goal of teaching, it's to move those who hear to the proper worship and adoration of the triune God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, it's going to leave its impress at every point in your communication. And so it's really something that that I think in varying personalities and individuals who teach, to the degree that's present, whether you're teaching or preaching, what you'll find is a vital concern that those who hear properly esteem the glory of the one uh, whom we proclaim whose word we expound. And so I remember that, uh, that what you were talking about back in 2009, uh, I had a burden to make clear that the presence of Christ in the Old Testament isn't something arbitrarily appended, right. but grows organically out of the pages of Scripture. And that's something worthy of proclamation and that moves yeah. the church to worship. Yeah, yeah, that's good. When you, when you preach on the Old Testament, Lane, you know, one of my... I, hearty amen to everything you've said there. One of the challenges that I always felt the pinch of when I was preaching in the Old Testament, and I'm just interested in in how you would address this, is is how do you avoid every sermon on the Old Testament not being the same? You You take a text, you find how it connects to Jesus, and then you preach on Jesus. And there are many worse things that one can do than that, of course. But but week after week, that's going to get a bit tedious for, for your people. So how do you how do you maintain like I say, the mystery, the drama, the surprise element of the Old Testament, while yet respecting the, the dogmatic commitments uh, that you have correctly highlighted there? That's a great question, Carl. Um, one guiding text that I've always tried to keep in mind when I'm approaching the Old Testament is Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. In the past, God spoke to our fathers at various times and in various ways through the prophets. Uh, in these last days, he has spoken climactically and eschatologically in the Son. And the first part of uh, that verse reminds us that there is an equally basic unity and diversity intrinsic to Old Testament revelation so that you're going to be uh, understanding the Bible in the Old Testament as you witness an organic and progressive pluriform unfolding of a unified truth. And um, narratives, I think, are particularly helpful uh, for us to, to preach because whatever you're going to say about Jesus, whatever point is going to be made, dogmatic, uh, biblical theological point is going to be made about Christ, who is the central redemptive subject matter of the Old Testament, it's going to be situated in and grow out of all the particularities of a given narrative. Now, I'm not talking about Proverbs or anything like that here. So, so that as you expound the particularities of that narrative, 
those various times and various ways and pluriform concerns of context feed into that sermon. And what it allows you to do is proclaim that same Christ through a unique and unrepeatable um, word, or, or to change the metaphor, to view the same Christ through a distinctive lens that cannot be found anywhere else in the canon of the Old Testament. And so you can kind of work, at least I, I try to work, and I've got, a, we've, I've got a long way to go, but try to work to keep that, the particularity of that text and the central redemptive subject matter of Christ joined as closely as possible so that it's a truly fresh and unique proclamation mm-hmm. of that one Christ. Yeah, that's good. And I, I find that same challenge, you know, preaching through Genesis or any other text in the in the Old Testament is it gets us to Christ. But to Carl's point, and, and I think your appropriate answer is that you're seeing facets of the person of Christ and, and his redemptive work that are that are unique depending on that that text, as well as then, you know, I mean, texts that have a, 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 an imperative to respond to, we bring that to light. Yeah, and it's easy to get lazy and miss that. But if you work really hard, which we all try to do, it, it should keep a freshness uh, to, the, to the preaching. But it, it is, it, it, I think our tendency is to become a little bit monochrome and know in advance, hey, Christ is central in all the scripture and missed that. So Carl's question is good. And I scratched a little bit of the surface, maybe. So I was going to say, one of the things I did when I was preaching was I, I typically switched genres. When I reached the end of a book, I then preached from a completely different genre and tried to alternate old and new as well. A, to push myself out of my comfort zone. I'd be just happy preaching Old Testament narrative till the day I die. Yes, yes. But also because it is it helps it helps avoid that laziness you you have to maintain a certain degree of sharpness there when you're when you're changing gears all the time sorry todd you were going to say i've heard some preachers typically younger guys who just finally kind of see oh christ is in the old testament and they get so excited about that 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 they'll take a text and that will just kind of be as though showing we'll see how how this points to christ and and then that, that's kind of the sum total of their whole sermon. And, and you know, we, well, the text is doing more than that. Text is doing more than just saying, yeah, this ultimately points to Christ. It's actually teaching us things about yeah. Christ and about God and about how we live. Yeah, yeah it, it just brings to mind a quote. Um, Meredith Klein, when I studied under him out in Westminster, California, 94 to 98, he said something that stuck with me, and it was a throwaway comment, and he was full of, of wisdom. But he said, he said, your goal as a preacher should be for the, listener to hear the whole Bible afresh from the particular text you're teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know you're not a fan of Bart uh, Lane, but I remember Bart Bart, Bart would use that phrase, the the, the strange new world of the Bible. And that's, that is an interesting way of trying to capture the, you know, the alienness of the Bible. We can we can domesticate it. We can over familiarize ourselves uh, counterintuitively. Yeah, and and that's and that's helpful because we are doing that on on the Lord's Day every day. We're asking our people to say, "Now, I want to I want to I want us to align ourselves now again with what is ultimately true." It just seems yeah, really. People alien. have told me that your sermons are among some of the strangest things they've ever heard, Todd. So I mean, <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
They're very alien. They're very Send alien. Send them to reform form and they can hear more of the same, the alien stuff. Here's a question yeah, for exactly. you, Lane. And, uh, and I know you and I, uh, it was Danny Ollinger said to me quite recently, he said, you know, you and Lane, you, you, el- you end up in the same place, but you come at it from very different directions. You know, I'm the kind of historical theology guy. You're the biblical theologian. We tend to end up as, as orthodox, but we've, we've got there by slightly different routes. Uh, one, of the, one of the sort of the big things that's really emerged as an issue in, in certainly in Protestant evangelicalism over the last sort of five, ten years has been the doctrine of God and a recovery of the, of the classical doctrine of God. And again, at, at the heart, it seems to me, of, of debates over the doctrine of God, it's often that balance between, or maybe, maybe balance is the wrong word, but you have the dynamic historical narrative of the biblical text. On the other hand, you have what we want to assert as, as timeless truths about God, but we only get those timeless truths, of course, through the historically mediated text. Again, without getting into sort of debates, rarefied debates about the doctrine of God, as a preacher, as a preacher, how do you strike that balance between, uh, again, capturing the, the dynamic, the historical dynamic of revelation, but at the same time, you know, pressing on your people that, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and, for, and forever. How do you, how do you balance the, the economic and the ontological, to use the sort of highfalutin terminology of those two things, in the context of, of preaching and exposition? Well, I, I like to try to find, you know how there are those certain texts that just seem to say it all and, and encapsulate everything. There are, there are a couple of texts that I try to use along these lines. And let, let me preface it this way. I will often tell uh, people in, the, in my congregation or if I'm teaching somewhere on behalf of Reformed Forum, I will tell them that the absoluteness and immutability of God is not only a doctrine that we confess as Orthodox Christians, but it is absolutely vital to religion itself. And uh, for instance, in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, in covenant with you, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. What's the point? It's not simply that you have to understand that God remains absolutely exhaustively immutable in all of his activity outside of himself, but it's that because such is the case, you will not be consumed by God's enemies or your enemies. And then I like to use one of my favorite texts along these lines, Carl, when I'm talking at trying to do it at a semi-popular level is James 1.17. The Father of heavenly lights, which is a reference to Genesis 1, 14, especially creating a sun and moon, does not change like shifting shadows as he gives every good and perfect gift. And so what that text pushes us to conceive is this, that the persons of the Trinity are immutable and absolute, yet living and active. And those must be joined together in our conception of religion. And so the difference between creatures is like when I'm giving right now, I don't feel it, but I'm going to get tired eventually. I'm going to start to fatigue. I'm going to lose some of my um, zeal. And I'm going to change throughout the process of giving myself. If you do a time lapse of me for 10 years, boy, you can see it. Go back 10 years. I don't have any of this white in my beard. But in the case of the father, in his giving, he does not lose himself or change or exhaust his 
um, actuality and giving, he gives and remains self-contained, self-complete, fully actual as he showers actively all of the good and perfect gifts that are ours in Christ by the Spirit. And so what we have to do, I think, is recalibrate our understanding of the nature of divine personhood. And, and that puts us in a position where we are just, I think, drawn to worship such a God, a God who remains absolute in his relation to us, who remains immutable in his giving every good and perfect gift. That is the God that the Catholic and Reformed church worships and if you say he changes you've lost true religion and you're worshiping i I think one of the things that i press on students at grove i teach a course now on on doctrine of god would you believe they allow me to teach theology at grove that's how (laughs) terrifying it is but uh, (laughs) one of the points i make is that when we think of, of impassable or immutable we think of a rock we go to a rock whereas of course a rock would be uh, you know, even thinking about it in Greek terms, a rock is less living than a human being. And what, what the, the faith means when it talks about God being immutable, impassable, is that God is so full of life that there can be no change. It, it, nothing less yes. like a rock can really be imagined because God is in himself dynamic life. And, uh, and it's funny when you, when you yeah. teach immutability and impassibility to the kids that way, you can see the light bulbs going on. So, wow, that, so yeah. immutability doesn't mean God is cold and distant. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. Um, so that was a great, a great explanation, mate. Yeah, it, it, it means his goodness is, is always, always going to be ultimately, deeply, fundamentally unchanging. Any change good. makes him less good and less alive, which is, right. which is a disaster, right. a yeah. disaster. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, you know, Lane, as, as we think about doctrine of God, one of the ironies, uh, and I've said this before, one of the ironies of the project to kind of make God a little bit more like us is oftentimes out of this pastoral concern to comfort people because of misunderstandings like Carl just mentioned. Well, immutability, impassibility, that makes God an unfeeling rock, you know. Um, but, but this whole project to make God resemble us a little bit more, or in some cases, a lot more, the sad irony is that that makes God a whole lot less helpful for people, um, a whole lot less comforting for people, does it not? It does. And to, to return to the Malachi 3, 6 text, and this is really critical to understand. I, uh, this is one reason why we uh, shun modernism as poison, mm-hmm. um, is that the, the, there is nothing of more practical religious value than to know that the God who has made his promises in Christ Jesus does not change. And the implication is that if he did, if God were subject to the processes of time and change, then theoretically there could be some ominous occurrence in the historical process enveloping God and his church and overcomes and undoes those promises. Um, the, if God changes the, the logic of Malachi 3.6 is that you will be consumed along with the things consumable. And so I, I always try to, um, to, to join in my teaching and communication to people that orthodoxy, right doctrine, and orthopraxy, right practice, are really joined most clearly in the worship 
of the immutable, living, true, triune God in Christ. And, um, and, and it really does matter uh, for the Christian life, because if you're, if you're looking for assurance and looking for hope and looking for certainty, you will not find it in a mutable God submerged in the vicissitudes of time. Yeah. Just won't find it. And Carl and I have talked about this before, uh, about the need for preaching to be weighted with a lot of good systematic theology. Uh, now, uh, oftentimes, you know, coming out of broad evangelicalism, you know, you would never hear that or, or heard that or hear that said, you know, uh, anathema on, on that idea. But, but again, what I found, and I know that this has been your experience, I know that this has been Carl's experience, not only in the classroom, but also serving in a church, is that the people that we serve who are suffering deep, profound griefs are tremendously helped by a, 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 a view of God, a vision of God. Um, that is uh, aligned with his self-revelation as his word, that is this unchangeable God. And, I, and, and, and I'm dealing with precious souls in my church right now that have gone through unspeakable um, sufferings in the last six months, uh, just terrible, terrible things, who have found comfort in the very things you just said. This God exists over all time. So, so this thing that happened to my child didn't catch God. Like he, didn't, he saw that coming, and now he's just trying to work through it himself. No, 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 he actually... All of that was before him, and and he was sovereign over it all, and, and, and none of that has impacted change upon him. And these precious souls have found great comfort in these deep, big ideas. And that's helped to, to show me how much systematic theology belongs in our preaching. Yeah, it, it really does. It, it's, um, it comes to be that the more theology— um, from the scriptures um, expressed in the creeds and confessions, the more theology you're able to communicate to the comfort and encouragement and exhortation of the church, the more comfort, uh, the more encouragement they will receive, not less. And mm -hmm. so that trend toward trying to de-emphasize the theology theological in order to promote and enhance the practical yeah. is precisely the wrong prescription for souls in need of comfort from the absolute and living and immutable triune God uh, and the Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. So good to be reminded of that. And just as preachers and as, and as laypersons listening to preaching, to hope that, that they will understand that there are lots of biblical texts that can man, give you counsel on marriage, and we want to do that when a biblical text does that. But there's no greater thing that the preacher can do than to unfold the passage in such a way that, that you're there to behold your God and to be in awe of him. And, and that's, the, that's the great high goal of preaching. And I've, and I've, heard, um, I've heard you do that. I've heard you do that in a classroom setting. I've, I've listened to audio. And, and, and any preacher that, that can do that is a gift to their church. So I, I just... One of the things that we want to do on our website is we're going to link to Reformed Forum and people who want to um, kind of follow you and tease out some of these ideas. You, you're already providing Reformed Forum with a great catalog of teaching on these very things. And if some of our listeners have no doubt heard you lecture, they've heard audio or watched video from Reformed Forum. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do that. Lane is a very engaging uh Professor, he puts the lie to the fact that, that systematic theology is somehow dry or, or biblical theology is somehow dry. You're going to enjoy um, his style of teaching because I think, I think it does justice to the teaching of what theology is supposed to do 
it captures the mind and the heart. And so, you know, Lane, thanks so much for being on um, with us. And we're, we're excited about what you're doing with Reform Forum. We're, we're grateful for your ministry in the church. And thanks for taking some time with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was an absolute delight and uh, look forward to doing it again someday. Yeah, and uh, definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And to our listeners, please go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you'll find a link to Reformed Forum, and you'll be able to take advantage of some of the really excellent resources they are providing uh, for the church. And if you're there, remember, Mortification Spin is a listener-supported uh, podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that so that they can continue to provide more of this sort of content. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Mister, what do you think you're doing? You call this a room? This is a pigsty. I want you to straighten up this area now. Are you listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is pleased to present Delighting in Our Triune God, the 2021 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Live and in person March 12th through the 14th in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and online from Philadelphia beginning April 30th. The Trinity is quintessential Christian doctrine, celebrating the biblical truth of one God in three persons, yet few believers today appreciate the doctrine's vital importance. Elevating the Trinity at this year's conference will be David Garner, Michael Barrett, Todd Rester, and Richard Phillips, with additional Philadelphia content from Robert Letham and others. Delighting in our triune God, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Registration for the Grand Rapids event is open now. Log on reformedevents.org for more. That's reformedevents.org.